Hi, welcome to MediatorPodcast.com, a podcast and video series about mediation, negotiation, and collaboration. My name is Melissa Gregg, and I provide online valuation, divorce, and mediation services based out of St. Louis, Missouri. In this week's episode, we're actually going to discuss a book written by our guest, Kimberly Best, How to Live Forever, A Guide to Writing the Final Chapter of Your Life Story. She's a registered nurse, a mediator, and conflict coach based in Franklin, Tennessee, and has authored this book that we're going to discuss today. Welcome, Kim. How are you? Thank you, Melissa. I'm good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this is a very interesting kind of more passion. So you do a lot of different things, but this is also something (laughs) that you've done out of passion. Mm. But what kind of got you to write this book or why did you get interested in this? That's a really good question. It turned out when I started the book, um, as I was writing it, it turned out to be the culmination of my whole life's work. So um, I started off in nursing. I worked in every intensive care there is. I worked in trauma and eventually emergency nursing. But from the very first person that I saw die, I was aware of this is our story. This was this woman's story. And I was witnessing the end, the closing, the end of her book. And I wondered as I was watching her what she left unsaid. And through countless um, experiences with end of life, uh, through multiple decades of nursing, um, I became aware of um, the issues, the problems, the uh, pain um, of not making decisions around end of life. And um, when I became a mediator with my nursing background, uh, I found that I was having more and more clients who were dealing with chronic and terminal illness and end of life and recognized the conversations that they need to have and the power of using mediation to have these hard conversations. So that through all of that, the theme of a story, that we're writing our story, with every interaction we have with someone, we're sharing a story and writing a story. But but we want stories to end well, right? Like we want um, this not to be about dying well, but about living well all the way to the end. And for that, we kind of need a roadmap. We need to plan. We need to be purposeful, just like with everything else. So um, I combined uh, what we needed to find out about legal issues, um, what we needed to discuss in terms of medical decisions and uh, relationships gone awry, conflict in relationships, our end of life ceremony, which is often around conflict. And, um, you know, how to handle those conflicts and make those hard decisions uh, along the way. Well, and, you know, I think people are kind of like, well, okay, well, but I don't have a terminal illness. And, Mm. you know, I feel pretty healthy. I feel like Mm. everything's fine. So this might not be something that I need to do right now. You know, I'm in my 40s. And Mm. what can I learn from reading this book that maybe would help me understand that there's a little bit more involved than just like waiting till the end and, and getting everything done, right? Right. You know, one of my goals in writing this book um, was to get us to talk about dying. Um, in all the aspects of the book, that's a theme that comes up. So the book came out right before COVID, which I thought was was terribly um, ironic and uh, really fortuitous if we wanted to begin to have these conversations. I say that uh, talking about dying is the final frontier of taboo subjects that we don't have. And by not having these discussions, um, we are are closing our best potential for finding solutions, for honoring our choices, for having empowerment around our choices around legal and medical uh, discussions. I I know this, Melissa, that is medicine has advanced. um, Dying has gotten harder Mm. Uh, because what used to kill us doesn't anymore. So it's taking longer and it's harder for people to die. Now, in terms of somebody 40 years old, you probably have aging relatives, uh, but that's not really even the point. I have stories in my book of all ages 
I mean, I had a five-year-old niece die of a brainstem glioma. We're not guaranteed our next moments. And if there's one lesson I learned from all my nursing years, it is that all we have is this moment. So I don't think it's ever too soon to have the conversations. Um, because I think when that does happen, whether it's an accident or an illness and we're caught off guard, it, it won't be, our response won't be, yes, this is awful. It's truly awful, but that it shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend so much time with the denial and that it shouldn't happen. And what have I done wrong? And what is the medical system doing wrong? When in reality, this is life. Mm-hmm. So if we bring to light all these conversations that are life, I think we'll be stronger going into those when they'll happen because it will happen to all of us. Mm-hmm. Well, so, and I think there's a, a point of being prepared, mm-hmm. but not like actively trying to wish it to happen. Right. I mean, right. like you can do things that, because I think when people get to the end of life or if they have loved ones, mm-hmm. they're looking and saying, okay, well, what would they have wanted? Right. And then they're trying to second guess and they're like, well, I think they said they wanted to be cremated. No, no, I think they wanted to be buried next to so-and-so, you know, and then the families all having these conversations, guessing of what somebody had wanted at that stage, right? I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly right. And the pain that comes with that. Um, yeah, so there is, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people, the, the ones who didn't know what to do, even around healthcare decisions. So especially around healthcare decisions, especially around even COVID while our loved ones are alive, you know, we make the assumption that living at all costs is what we want to do. When in fact, often we're torturing people by doing that. I want to give a shout out real quick because it's a good time to do that to Atul Gawande, who wrote Being Mortal. And what he did in that book, if you haven't read the book, it's an incredible book, but he normalizes, we are born and we will die. And um, that's tough. Like being born is not, you're a mom. I mean, being born is hard, like, and so is dying, but that's normal. That is life. The cost of living is dying. So if we can understand the process that our bodies go through, um, understand that it is normal. It doesn't mean we don't grieve it when it happens. It doesn't mean it's not sad and that there's not a lot of loss, but there is a circle of life, but we can make better decisions that are around quality of life quality of life, Mm -hmm. living as well as we want to live, we get to decide our own quality of life, um, rather than forcing life at all costs. Mm -hmm. Well, and do you do you see that people are having discussions and their families don't necessarily agree with some of their Mm -hmm. decisions? And so they're like, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do at that point. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of misinformation with that, with a decision. So, you know, there's so many decisions around hard things that we wanted to take a yes or no to, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want everything done or I don't want everything done. And, and the thing, you're right, we need to have the discussions. And my book outlines these like questions, you know, what do you, who do you want present? You know, how much... How much pain are you willing to go through? How much risk of maybe getting better versus not? What kind of side effects? You know, defining your own quality of life, um, so that so that people don't have to decide that for you. Number one, but when you have the conversation with the families as well, so they can understand the whys of that, then it cuts down on the conflict during. But for all of this, we have to have it early. And I just want to add, Melissa, it doesn't mean we can't change our minds. Right. As we're going through the process. So I say I find out I have a diagnosis of cancer, which I have a beautiful story of a couple who went through breast cancer and ultimately she died. They knew at what point they wanted to stop chemotherapy because Mm -hmm. she knew she didn't want to die in a hospital. She didn't want to die terribly sick. You know, she wanted to spend as much time at home as she could. I mean, these are the discussions. But we we so much pretend that this isn't going to happen to us. Um, and we're not looking for it too, right? But we're starting out with a, okay, I don't know what this like because I've never been there, but I've seen my neighbor go through this and I know I don't want to do this. Okay. So what is your point that you want to want to keep fighting for? You know, some people have said, um, you know, I, I want, I want to do whatever it takes to keep alive as long as I'm able to walk. 
-hmm. or as long as I recognize my family members, or as long as I can watch baseball on TV. I mean, you get to decide what those are, right? And then, as you alluded to before, all the conflicts around when we don't make end of life decisions, I give all kinds of options for your end of life ceremony. Um, you can write your own, um, you can videotape something and have it there. I mean, there's the sky's the limit, but mm -hmm. families struggle when we don't have these conversations and they don't know what we want and they live with that. So in writing our story, I believe we're leaving our legacy, right? That's why I use the uh, how to live forever because stories live on. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we don't, but our story does. And I had a client tell me that I will be remembered by my ending. You know, if I have a terrible ending, that's what my family and friends are going to take as a memory mm -hmm. of me, right? Mm -hmm. So how can I do this so that my ending gives them peace too? Sure. No, it makes it it makes so much sense. But I think it's also, you know, what we were kind of talking about earlier. It's it's about having conversations that are somewhat emotionally difficult mm -hmm. that we just shy away from. Like if we don't talk mm -hmm. about that, then it's not gonna happen. If we don't, if we don't, you know, figure it out, oh, we'll just worry about it because you know, we kind of put it off to a perpetual never gonna happen. And then when it does, we're not only in the stages of grieving, but we're also in the stages of like, uh, does anybody know what we're supposed to do next? You're we so didn't right. The, you know, we didn't have the conversation or I didn't listen to the conversation or right. I wasn't, I wanted to ignore it because I just didn't want it to happen. So a lot of that I think happens. No, that's, that's a hundred percent true. And, um, uh, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, a topic that, you know, this is centered around is dying. And I think it's a hard, you know, it's, it's hard facing your own mortality. Um, and it's probably even harder to face other people's mortality. And then everybody wants something different. Right. Mm -hmm. And so let's, let's talk a little bit about what we start to get to, you know, when do people start to really want to create this final chapter of their life? I think um, if it's not us going through it, we, we have people that we know or have gone through it, right? Probably all of us have lost a relative. Mm -hmm. And um, I think what you just said about having those conversations versus not, you are right. They're emotionally challenging conversations. And you're also correct that we tend to put those off, um, hoping they'll go away, but they don't. So I like to think that we have short-term work when we're at our best in planning for these things and having the conversations versus having a long-term response that is a bulldozed pile of all the conversations we didn't have before, including family healing. I mean, this is about, you know, also um, uh, to whatever degree, family estrangement is up huge, but uh, to whatever degree we want to make amends with people that we become estranged for, we have an opportunity to do that before ending. We can't do that later. So just all the regrets that we have around dying. So yes, we need to acknowledge that we're going to die. Um, someone, um, someone who helps me out with my business was like, um, you know, as you're talking, you need to have some kind of bling stuff. And I was going to get a t-shirt and the front of it was going to say, I'm dying and the back says, and so are you, but <laughs> too many people didn't think that was funny. So, but no, but, but literally to, to really be able to know that, uh, it's okay that gets part of life to, and you know, as mediators, as you alluded to, we normalize the conversations that are difficult to have. So mm -hmm. yeah, if you feel unprepared to have this conversation with your family, uh, get someone who will help you have it because there is peace in that. All the stuff that we build up that we don't talk about is unresolved conflict inside of us. And it comes mm -hmm. out in other ways, but for peace, we need to have these conversations. Well, and we, I think we legally, <clears throat> we try to document our decisions, you know, power of attorneys and, mm. and directives and everything. Um, but it's still, you know, and, and we can do all of that in our life um, for other things, right? And we don't need to tell anybody. I think in this situation, people will prepare 
in the best way that they know. It's the telling people. It's the Mm -hmm. having the conversations about, you know, what I would really enjoy um, or how I would like to go is much more different because a lot of times those discussions are like, wait, I didn't know that. Did you know that? You know, and, and those are why you've kind of created this process and this way Mm -hmm. to do it and, and have been involved with it because you've seen how people can just be, Oh, they wanted to, to have this done. Oh, I, I didn't know that. I didn't, when did you find that out? And then you start to question, well, they told me something different. Well, I thought I heard, you know, and a lot of times it's like, I thought I heard something different. And then here's what the documents say. But, you know, there's more at the end of life than just these specifics, right? It's, it's more so the stories that you're never going to be able to know in some capacity, right? That's right. That's right. You know, I want to say, and I'd love to know, Melissa, if you've been with anyone who has um, died, but I say in my book that like birth, it is, it is beautiful. Like it is sacred. Uh, It is holy to sit beside someone as they die. And does it also hurt? Yeah, just like being born does. Um, But not having these conversations, when we don't have these conversations, we increase the pain, we increase the suffering, and we increase the regret because we're trying to make choices that we don't know, A, if they're best for that person, B, if that's what they really want. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it is a, you know, I've, I've been there when my grandmother passed, I was there when my mother passed. And, you know, mm-hmm. with them, like holding hand, ushering them into the next phase and things like that. And it is very powerful. It is very draining. It's, mm-hmm. you know, emotional and, and, and great. And then you're also like, this is kind of awful, too, you know, but it is the circle of life. And I think that, you know, it's also identifying the family members that are going to be able to adequately, you know, we, we had reached out with my mother to get some people involved and, you know, family. And, and it was very difficult for some people. They're like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't be there for that. You know, some people hate hospitals. Some people hate funerals. Some people, you know, everybody has these, these feelings around this concept And so it's even trying to understand in your own family, who has the capacity to do some of these things, because it's not, you know, you and I may have a better capacity to do some of these things because we deal with difficult things a lot, but it's, it's not something that people can handle. That's the taboo subject part that we need to change. Right. So my challenge to the next generation is, um, well, Melissa, I'll ask you. So if, if, death were normal in your household, if you had come with, yes, we can talk about this, would it have been so difficult for you at your mom's bedside? Uh, It wasn't. And that was why I was the one, you know, because it it was kind of known that that you're, you can handle that, you can do that. So it's going to be hard, but show up anyway, is what I'm, you know, what I'm saying, not just for you, but, but it'll be less hard when we talk about it. So sometimes I've seen older people say to their family, listen, we need to start making a plan. I want to talk about it. And the kids are like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. That's when we say, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Because you're right. There's a population of people now who aren't comfortable with hospitals. Yeah, they're not fun, you know, Mm -hmm. who aren't comfortable with end of life things. Yeah, it's not easy. But we can't really live fully if we're living in the denial state. Mm -hmm. Uh, We miss those opportunities to bond at those last minute. And is it hard? Yeah, but so's life sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But there's always beauty and there's always power in that hard too. Even if it is just that we showed up in that, we find more about ourselves than if we hadn't shown up at all. Um, So I do think if we start having the conversations around death and dying, if we do start showing some acceptance, I say that it's, you know, we're walking a fine line between hope and regret. You know, Mm -hmm. how much to push before it's gone too far. I mean, that's up to each family and each individual. There isn't an answer. But we won't know unless we start talking. And when we wait unprepared, we make decisions that, again, often cost our loved ones pain, Mm -hmm. suffering, and and us regret and for them um, around that. 
but we, if we delve into that conversation, so that conversation that you had, because this is, you know, like, I think some people would be like, okay, this doesn't have a lot to do with mediation, but it really does. It has, you know, mediation if, at its core is mm-hmm. figuring out how to have conversations that are very difficult for people. That's but correct. in that moment, I think if people would just understand, why is it difficult to have that conversation? Is it difficult because you don't want to hear it? Is mm-hmm. it difficult because you are going to be sad because that person's somehow that person is capable of having a conversation about their life ending mm-hmm. and them not having any of this, mm-hmm. but you have a difficulty hearing it and making it not about you. And I and I'm not saying that everything has to be not about you, but I said in in these types of conversations, I think that the best way that we can start to, you know, maybe, maybe even engage in those conversations Mm -hmm. is to understand that you should listen so that you can give that person the peace of mind to leave as they want, not how is it going to affect you? You know, there were things that I wanted to make sure my mother knew, Mm. right? Because of her, I wanted to make sure she knew that she was forgiven, that she, you know, like, because we go through all of that at the end is like, I'm, I must have messed up as a parent. Well, yeah, we all kind of mess up as parents, you know, but, but it was more important for me to make sure that she understood things and not get, you know, like we are like, oh, I, I, you know, give me some confirmation about something. And I think if we can reverse that thought process at the end of life, maybe we would give them because in some ways it's disrespectful to, and, and not how you think of that word, but it's, it, you're just not listening to them. Like Mm. they're trying to take that moment to help, help it actually be easier for you because they're going to be gone. Right. They're trying to make it easier for you. I've seen more than one instance of someone knowing that they were going to die and their family being in denial. Mm. And that person goes, um, is dealing with that on their own, right? Because their family, uh, they can't talk about it with their family. They know they're dying, mm-hmm. but the family's going, oh, no, you'll be fine. Oh, no, do this other treatment. And you're right. Again, their denial puts someone else through so much pain. But on the subject of mediation, um, there there are several um uh, several things around this that are perfect for mediation. Uh, I know in my studies for the book that one hospice chaplain that I spoke to uh, up your way, as a matter of fact, uh, was talking about that in his hospice institution, about 50% of patients were estranged from family. And Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, the culture we live in, at least in my family, a lot of families, um, if you got on the wrong side of them, they're just not going to talk to you anymore. Mm -hmm. But as life goes on, we kind of run out of people then, which we really, (laughs) really don't want that to happen. So uh, family estrangement, uh, that family estrangement was actually my very first uh, mediation around end of life stuff that I did. And um, so there's uh, all the legal decisions which are many, the wills, the um, advanced directives. uh, There's a list of them in the books. Then there's the advanced directives themselves, um, who you want to be speaking for you. Uh, Then there's the um, end of life ceremony, end of life decision thing. These are common conflict areas that tear families apart, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, and keeping in mind that relationships is my last one, but relationships mean we have a family history that's been going on for generations. And there's always those family members who are seen as the problem or whatever. So I have yet to run across a family that doesn't have some sort of conflict. uh, And maybe they can't talk to each other because of their history of conflict. And it makes making these decisions hard, not just because the topic is hard, but because the family histories are. And uh, I I have people ask me why mediation over, um, say, counseling for this type of situation. And my answer is, is steadfast. I mean, I've been trying it forever. And it is that mediation is um, systems design approach to creating a solution to finding a, a, a 
a path forward that looks like what each party wants, right? So uh, counseling itself spends a lot of time in the background looking backward. And while we yeah. have to acknowledge how families got where they did and each person's feelings, um, it is about designing a way forward on all these end of life issues. So um, I think mediation is a just a wonderful source for all of these kind of topics. What do you think are one of the bigger dis decisions that people struggle with at the end of life that that's you a, see most? That's a great question. So I think the hardest one is how much treatment to seek. And being a nurse, I'm really passionate about the medical decisions with end of life. Um, I say that people now, we kind of treat the medical system like we're cars going to the garage, right? We should drive up. They should fix us. Mm -hmm. And we leave fine. But that's not how life works. So our impending illness, our impending death, our untreatability is not because of a failure of the medical system. It's mm -hmm. not because we did something wrong. It's not because we ate too much bacon. It just is. So again, in accepting death, we can decide how much treatment we want that doesn't take away our quality of life and, and make those decisions. So I think as a nurse, I'm going to say it is a mistake to have your life decisions turned over to your healthcare. You need to get as much information as you can. You need to find the pros and cons. You need to know what the odds are because we all think that teeny tiny chance is worth losing basically our life for, right? For that teeny tiny chance of living a little longer, but mm -hmm. to substitute living better with living longer. So I think walking that fine, again, it is walking a fine line between hope and regret. But having the courage to know through having these discussions that you are at the point where you say enough, I just want to carry out my life the best I can, that that's an okay option. That's a great option, that that is an option versus seeking medical treatment and uh, all the way to the end. If I could, Melissa, I want to make a little comment about that side note. As I mentioned, the book came out when COVID did. And I would run across a lot of people as I was speaking who talked about, well, if I get COVID, I'll just go on a ventilator and I'll be fine. And that was the number one symptom of the story we tell ourselves that's not true about what the medical system is like. Like going on a ventilator means you are paralyzed right? It means you are sedated. Hopefully in your sedation, you are, I mean, hopefully because you're paralyzed, you're deeply sedated, but it also means you are literally at the end of your life at mm -hmm. that point. And there, there is a price to pay for that. So while some people have recovered well, some people have suffered. Mm -hmm. So taking into account things like age, um, taking into account quality of life to follow, these are, these are just really important conversations to have. And there aren't, it's not like, well, when my, um, my experience of life is no longer good, you guys just go ahead and do whatever you need to do. Like, the, these are a lot of decision trees, decision making, mm -hmm. you know, points, where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, we, I think it's really trying to figure out what that person perceives is quality. And, right. and try to get what their mind frame is about that so that you can carry out their wishes. It's not where you perceive right. a quality life is, right? That's a hundred percent right. Yeah, again, you said that better than I could say that. That's the important part is you define what is quality of life. I don't decide, decide that. As mediators, we know that our job is not to decide what's best for someone else. It's to help them figure that out. And mm -hmm. each person is different. So there is no right or wrong to this as much as sometimes we want there to be. It's what's right for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, you've talked a, a, a couple ways about how um, mediation can kind of play into some of these end of life decisions. But is it even more than that? Like, can, you know, can people take this as an opportunity to get to know that person more to have, you know, do these conversations just take place in one time and you're like, okay, I know what you want for the end of life. 
see you later, <laughs> you know, or are they multiple conversations that occur over time? They're often multiple conversations. Um, it's, it sometimes presents as the most pressing issue. Maybe the most pressing issue is we, you know, mom, mom and dad are, are making their will and, um, we're in disagreement or we, we even want to bring the family together to have that discussion because there's nothing, you know, a, a lot of litigation around contested wills and um, not much thought into let's bring everybody to the table before that so that we're all on the same page before that. Uh, those kinds of conversations um, starting starting out can, can be for that. And uh, then the relationship stuff, as you dig into the technical stuff, the relationship stuff comes to bear. Though I do have to say, sometimes uh, in wanting to end well, uh, again, my my first client was a was a, a prominent attorney near where I live, and his wife was dying from um, Alzheimer's, and he had all his legal affairs lined up. He just had a family that was in conflict and he wanted to gift his wife's ending. He said, I came into this world well, I want to finish well. He wanted her ending to be as good as it could, which meant that some of this conflict was healed through them having conversations. And even though she had dementia, as you know, many people know, there are moments of uh, clarity in mm -hmm. dementia. And she came to the table as well. And some it was it was for her and it was about her. So we didn't, um, you know, heal the family to, you know, they're not holding hands skipping down the street right now, but they were able to come together where before they couldn't at all. And they were able to visit with her before her ending. And everybody felt better um, about how her ending was then and ending rather than ending in conflict. Yeah, yeah, imagine the children, I mean, the grown children, the ch grown children, like they have to live with that, you mm -hmm. know, however that ends. But so do the parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that there are always, you know, perceptions of what, oh, and, you know, and we, I guess in TV and in movies, we've kind of created this, you know, mm. real, um, I don't know, euphoria at the end and things like that. And instead of real conversations that are happening, right. it's, you know, and, and it is an opportunity that people don't necessarily want to take on, right? Because it's, it's uncomfortable to talk about death. It's uncomfortable to read about death, but what kind of things did you do in this book to even help people, to even get to that place, you know, you know, it's hard to get there. So you had to create kind of the tools, you know, mm -hmm. what did you do so that people could kind of incorporate this into their process? That's uh, that's such a good question. What I did was tell stories of people that I've seen go through it. Some, some who hit it out of the ballpark and some who really struggled knowing it's a struggle for all of us. I mean, it wasn't easy for the people who put in the work. It just made for an easier ending. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I tried to normalize it, you know, um, make it okay to talk about, make it okay. Like everything else we do in life, it's an experiment. Like we've never walked through this before, each mm -hmm. of us, right? You may walk through it with someone else, but with each person, it's different. So it's always a new moment and a new moment is an experiment. So giving yourself grace, giving the other person grace, but focusing on, like for me, I really take this, I'm living my story seriously. Mm -hmm. And I, I tried to use the, we're helping someone else live their story. And like you said, Melissa, um, in the book, I also have a chapter on what you can leave as your story and how to leave your story, including the conversations. Um, I did a survey on what family members want to know um, that they don't know about family members that have already passed. So what do you wish you had known? So there's an opportunity to have discussions around just your story. What were things like when you were a kid? What do you want to say in your goodbye? Mm -hmm. um, so I think keeping it in the context of a story makes it easy. Uh, if we look at our own lives as a story, which indeed they are a series of stories, right? And mm -hmm. wanting to 
end that as well as possible, I think makes it easier to have those conversations than, oh gosh, now we got to talk about us dying. It's no, mm -hmm. that's going to show up in our story. And what do we want it to look like? Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that that is kind of the counterbalance to what people say. Like, I don't, you know, I, I think when somebody passes in your family, especially if it's a close person, then you're like, okay, what would I do things different? What would I like different? You know, uh, and then you just start telling people, well, uh, if, if, if something like this happens to me, then do A, B, and C. And then they say, okay, well, you know, let's talk about, well, I don't want to really talk about it. Okay. I just want, I just want to tell you three things, you know? So I, I, I actually think that when something like that happens, it might be a good time to reach out and get a book like this. Be like, you know, I don't want to have this be happening when I'm 85. Like, why don't we talk about these things now so that everybody can be on the same page? And I also think generationally, we view death different mm -hmm. than maybe our predecessors, our ancestors, you know, our grandparents, our parents and things like that. So, you know, maybe to, um, to bring some more conversation about it with our own children, you know, and right. because they're going through this process too. And, and part of it is even maybe to heal so that you don't have to wait until, you know, the death of that person to then start the grieving process or the healing process. That's absolutely beautiful. And you're right. And you're right about the generational part of that as well, which I think we're going backwards on. Hmm. And that's because of medicine, right? Our expectations for medicine are this isn't supposed to happen to me or anyone I know. And it wasn't like that before. So so everything has a price, right? And and as I mentioned earlier, the price for living longer is it's harder to die. Mm -hmm. And it's taking longer to die. And we need to think about that in making our decisions. Um, people are suffering for longer in death for that. So we, we just need to be aware of not just what we know, but what we don't know as well in order to make in, as informed decisions as possible. Well, and I think that if, if you did have more conversations about this, you would understand what hospice really looks like or what some of those things actually look like, because there is more, you know, like I kind of perceived that hospice would come in and mm. everything, you know, like there'd be a person there all the time. They'd be telling us what to do. Like we're just, they're like, you know, making s'mores and telling stories and like enjoying the person. But there's a lot that happens physically in the body at the end of the of life. There's a lot that happens in the mind. And I think that even being prepared for that progression, mm -hmm. and then the unknown is how long is this going to last, right? And so I think that that having those discussions about who is going to be involved with that, because it does mm -hmm. take people, it does take bodies, it takes, you know, helping, and it can't all rest on a few family members, because it really is a, a, um, you know, maybe not what everybody envisions. I don't know. Yeah, it isn't. Every time is different. Yeah. And, uh, and the unknowns, I mean, I know you know this, Melissa, but from moment to moment, well, walking my own dad through this, I called my family three times and said, he's not going to make it another night. And then, and then he would, I mean, our expectations without knowing what it could be, it's hard. And it's mm -hmm. hard. It was hard for me as a nurse, knowing that anything could happen mm -hmm. when literally anything did happen. I mean, mm -hmm. it is tough. It is hard. Um, and, but knowing what's going to happen. And I think hospice does a really good job of trying to prepare families uh, for, for what it's going to look like, but each experience is unique. It mm -hmm. is. And, um, and you don't know when or what or how, mm -hmm. and that's just what the story looks like. And I think mo more often than not, families want to, you know, go through the process at their house and mm -hmm. in surrounded by people that they love. Um, but I think that that's also a process. Like, it, it, you right. know, it's just kind of, I mean, I'm a little bit more business utilitarian kind of person. So I was just like, 
it would have been helpful. <laughs> somebody, yeah. you know, cause now you're grieving, you're trying to help somebody pass, but you're also having like people want to come in and out, you know, like you people want to do things for you, but you're like, I don't even have time to tell you what you need to do for me, you know? Yeah. So it's really, I think it's just really starting to create a different way that we view all of this as opposed to like, something's going to happen in a hospital and, you know, I'll show up for the funeral or something, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot more involved that we think that maybe somebody's just going to take care of. Right. And that's That's not the truth. Like a lot of times it's their family or their loved ones that need to help participate in that process. That's very true. You're, you're exactly right. And it looks like you've learned that the hard way. Probably a little, (laughs) (laughs) but I think it's also, you know, these are things that if you, it, it depends on your view of death. You know, if, if you believe that things continue to go on, then maybe it's not as difficult. Um, If you leave things well, maybe it's not as difficult. So it really is the book in my mind is kind of created to help you make this not as difficult. That's exactly right. I had a client say, Oh my gosh, it was her daughter actually told me that her mom left a note and said, she said from the end of my story, my story is not the ending. It is the beginning of yours. Like for my Mm -hmm. ending is your beginning. And, and that is true, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because what we do and how we live, does live on not just how we write our story at the end but along all of life's way and and i wanted to put that in the book too to make us aware of who we are all the time with every Mm -hmm. interaction we're writing our story and our legacy well and there's so much that we don't know about you know like even your family members even people like you know you'd have to sit there and they'd have to tell you the story of their life over and over and over again you know there's so many facets of individuals that we don't know, even if they're family, that I think are, are, are helpful to try to uncover. Um, But in this book, what do you think are some of your biggest, you know, the biggest takeaways from this book, when people read it, if they get these central concepts, then it was a success? Yeah, prepare. Number one, prepare. It's your life. It's your life. Write the story how you want. Uh, Be empowered to make the decisions so that you're doing what you want. Be brave enough to have the conversations, but even braver to ask for help in these conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, (laughs) know that it's an experiment. Like uh, you try, you try a new way when that way doesn't work. Uh, that you're not alone, that this is a normal part of life and we haven't learned how to do it so well because we haven't had these conversations. But if you're doing this, you're a groundbreaker. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're taking the trouble to try to plan, you're setting the next generations up for success. Because like everything else we learn, the more we talk about it, the more we share about it, the better we're going to do it. So, um, and, and it will be okay. Like it'll be, it'll be okay. It's, it's not going to be easy through the process. I've had people uh, go through the book and say, going through the book was so hard, but I have peace now that I'm done. There are no questions. Like I know what I want. I've thought it through. My family knows what I want. Uh, I know it's going to be easier for them. So it's, um, you know, be be willing to do the work because like everything else we do work for, uh, it has its reward. Mm-hmm. And and this this is a the most precious reward there is, your ending or someone else's ending. Mm-hmm. Well, and what I think I've been telling my kids lately and 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 myself lately is create the story that you want Mm. them to tell about you. That's exactly right. In your daily actions, in how you deal with people, you're creating stories. You're creating stories that they take away. You know, if somebody comes out of a business meeting with you or a medical meeting or something, what's the story they're going to say? Did, did I convey, you know, is the story that they say going to be negative or is it going to be like, you know what, that was a hard conversation, Mm -hmm. but I feel better about it. And I feel more knowledgeable and I feel like we can make some decisions. And, um, and then if you're living your life 
creating the story that you want people to tell, then you're probably living the best life that you can. And it all feeds into it, right? That is exactly right. You know, I think if I had to say one sentence, and I use this for my clients a lot, while we cannot control the circumstances that show up in our life, we can't control what happens to us. We can control who we are in their circumstances. And that is where the beauty and the power is. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, you know, this conversation is just kind of trying for you and I to come full circle and say, you know, mediation is part of allowing and helping people communicate during difficult times. And it can be used and facilitated in a lot of different ways. But some people don't always think about how it comes into play in this situation. And at the end of life, I think it's just how do we start to communicate it different? Do you need a mediator? No. Do you have, if you have some issues, should you reach out to Kim? Yes, you should, you know, but you should, you should reach out with people that are going to help you do this because it is not easy. That's the Mm -hmm. problem is, is there could be a roadmap and everything, but you're going to layer in, you know, history, you're going to layer in relationships, you're going to layer, layer in some trauma and some healing, you know, so that is a process as, as much as you, we want to say, you know, it's easy to talk about dying. It really isn't, but it's because you're facing your own mortality, that it's a very difficult conversation. And if we can shift it, especially if you have a loved one in this situation and you can mm-hmm. shift it to talking about their, you know, like hearing how they want this to happen. Mm-hmm. I think we would be maybe able to comprehend it a little bit better. Very well said. If I left the illusion that it's easy, I need to apologize because it mm-hmm. is not easy. It will get easier. The more we practice it though. I do believe that. I think people just want things to be easy, you know, mm. like they, and so we beg off of it because we're like, well, I'll have to deal with that whenever it happens. And, and the reality is, you know, I think that you'll have some more comfort because you're always going to question, is this what the person wanted? Even if you have these conversations, you know, like this is what they said they wanted. Um, you know, and I'll give you an example. My mother didn't want a funeral. And she mm-hmm. didn't want, she wanted just a celebration and things like that. So she, it was very different, right? And then you had COVID and all of those good things. Mm-hmm. But in staying true to her wishes, it kind of encountered like, wait, why are you doing it this way? This is not how it's always done. You got to do it, you know. And so it does in the family, you know, it is, it's, it's not even about, just understanding what that person wants and and being clear on it it's about you have to fulfill that right it's about being brave enough to honor it right mm-hmm. even if it's not what you would have had for that person right. you're honoring their right to choose their own life mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, it's brave. And to be like, eh, who cares? It's what freeing too. It exactly, is. Exactly. Exactly. Because first of all, we're not going to please everyone. Everyone's going to have an opinion yeah. on what you're supposed to be doing. But yeah. you're knowing that you're doing what that person wanted with their life. I mean, right. that that's powerful. Right. And to be able to say to other family, this is what they wanted. That's this right. is what she wanted. This is what and he wanted. deal with it. They have to deal with their mixed And it's like, oh, that. okay. It's not. It's not how I remember going through death of my loved one where none of us had any clue about what they wanted. We've done a different process. We know what she wanted. We know what he wanted and we did it, you know, and, and I don't think that they can totally disagree with that, but you know, people will always find, but tell us more, you know, where can people find your book? Obviously on Amazon Mm. and, um, and can you download it into audio? Great question. So it's uh, at all the major booksellers, well, probably most of the booksellers. So it's on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Goodreads. Uh, I would appreciate uh, reviews. It is downloadable on Kindle and whatever other things there are. I do want to say on my website, uh, bestconflictsolutions.com, I I have a downloadable free PDF. Oh, well, what a coincidence. (laughs) Um, That is a study guide for groups. Um, I have led groups I've been contacted by uh, church organizations or hospice care organizations. Um, And so for people who want to have group discussions on this, there is a a PDF 
uh, book topic week by week um, for for uh, book clubs. And um, yeah, that's that's about it. And they, we have an email that they can reach out to you. But I think that anything in this, and you tell us a little bit about, you know, mediation that you focus on, but also how you work with people because you're in healthcare. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. different. Um, but what are the things that you're working with people right now on? Yeah. So I, I love healthcare, <laughs> um, but I love conflict as long as it's someone else's. <laughs> Uh, So I do, I actually do all kinds of mediations. Uh, I don't do commercial mediations, but uh, everything else in the uh, smaller spectrum, I do uh, divorce and um, uh, elder end of life, uh, conflict coaching, just in any kind of relationship, small business, uh, pre-litigation conflicts. I love it. So, and they can get more information at Best Conflict Solutions, which is also your last name. So that's also convenient. It She's not well trying to say it's name. wonderful. She's <laughs> saying it's her last name. <laughs> but this is awesome. And then we also have How to Live Forever, a guide to writing the final chapter of your life story. So uh, go ahead and grab the book. Everybody, we're all going to deal with this at some time. Um, so why not be more prepared? Uh, I think I'm actually going to try to incorporate the book in my own world for my own self, because I think that it is a healthy exercise Mm -hmm. to go through with your loved ones. Um, and it gets the conversations, you know, we have young kids too, and it's just talking about that they would be okay if something happened, you know, and giving them the permission to be okay and not to be like, Oh, you know, that, So it's a lot of different things, but I'm going to try to put it into play. It's not always good. It's not always easy. Sometimes life is hard. Sometimes it is. And that doesn't mean it's bad or wrong. It just is. And -hmm. I know for me, for my kids, for a lot of people with their kids, they don't want them to be uncomfortable. But we need to learn how to deal with discomfort because Mm -hmm. sometimes life is really uncomfortable. So we can't make it good all the time. So sharing that with your kids, it's like, yeah, I know this is hard, but I also know we can get through it together. Mm -hmm. And I'm also hoping that they, whatever my husband doesn't remember, that they will also remember. So those things. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. We always appreciate um, you on here. We've already talked about some new topics that we might discuss um, in the future about, about having um conversations about difficult topics you know and and how do we start to facilitate that in our lives so um you're always a wonderful guest and we appreciate it and we will see you soon thank you so much i appreciate y'all too you're wonderful (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) 